everybody. Welcome back. It is so good to be back with you again for our Young Adult Podcast here with First Baptist Church. I'm John Lemons, as always, joined by Sam Maxwell. And today we have a very special guest, Dr. Todd Still, who is with us uh, from Baylor University, Truett Seminary. And uh, it's so good to be back with you guys. We've taken a, a hiatus for a few months. The last time we recorded anything, Sam, was back in November. So we had a pretty good break, and I think we're ready mm-hmm. to come back for season two. I don't know. What about you? Yeah, yeah. I'm really looking forward to this. Um, you know, I thought this was a great series that we did for our, our summer series a couple years ago, where we kind of revisited some of these pieces from scripture that people often use um, largely, you know, on Facebook as standalone. And then they say, well, this is, you know, an expression of whatever I want it to be. Um, so I thought it was a really neat exercise for us as ministers and a good exercise for our large group to kind of dive in to some of these things. And it, it's just, it's great to be here with uh, Dr. Still today. He was one of my professors. Uh, I worked for him when I was in seminary, and I'm just delighted to have him here with us and to speak uh, knowledge and wisdom into the beginning of this series. Absolutely. Yeah. And so to, to elaborate further on what Sam was talking about, this was a series that we did as a Bible study back in the summer of 2019 just for our young adult group as a whole, it was one of the more popular things we've ever done. And so we thought, well, what if we turn that into a podcast series where we sort of explore the same things but from a different setting? Uh, so not as much of a Bible study, but more a discussion. So we'll be talking about things over the next few weeks, like Jeremiah 29, 11, Philippians 4, 13, Second uh, Chronicles 7, 14, uh, things like that, that um, that are commonly misinterpreted or misapplied. Uh, you'll, you'll see them often plastered on coffee cups or keychains or signs or whatever. And a lot of people really don't know the stories behind a lot of those verses. And so that's really what we want to dive into. And we've invited a bonafide, like flesh and bone biblical scholar to be a part of this with us, at least for this intro to kick it off. So um, as we get started, Dr. Still, just for anybody who may not know who you are, I'd love to hear, you know, the the five minute version or 10 minute version of sort of your story and, and how you got to where you are, what interests interested you in biblical studies or, or biblical interpretation and that sort of thing, if you if you wouldn't mind to share that with us. Of course, John. Uh, thank you for allowing me to be with you. And Sam, it's great to see you. Uh, this is a tremendous opportunity and a lot of fun as well. So I was, um, I, I'm a Texan, uh, born, born and bred, born in Wichita Falls, Texas, which is near the Texas-Oklahoma border. And I call it hard scrabble, Texas, tumbleweeds, mesquites, uh, some cows, lots of oil wells, uh, very extreme temperatures. My, my folks uh, not only um, uh, dropped me off at church, they took me to church. I'm a, a child of the church and from a very early age embraced grace and was baptized since the stirring and calling to ministry at a, at a very early age. And along the way, uh, John and Sam, I had youth pastors that encouraged me to not only read scripture, but to commit scripture to memory and to seek to hide the word in my heart and allow it to become lamp and light. And so I became a a lover of scripture. And during university, I went to Baylor. Uh, That love did not die. It only heightened. And I then since that seminary for me was a next step. It's not a next step for everyone, but I sense God's clear guidance. And it was at seminary that I first sensed a calling to be a scripture scholar, uh, a New Testament uh, interpreter. 
And I remember vividly, it was in the spring of 1989, I was sitting in Dr. Earl Ellis's class, Pauline Theology, Ministry and Society. And it was as if though uh, I was living in a single story universe and it was almost as <laughs> if someone pulled back um, uh, the, the ceiling and I, I, I saw uh, a, a new world. And I just thought, what a joy, what an opportunity to linger long over scripture to uh, get the requisite skills, uh, linguistic and otherwise, so that you can serve the church uh, by interpreting uh, the Bible, the church's, the church's book. And so I went on to do PhD work, and I've had the privilege of teaching in various places at various times, including Dallas Baptist, Gardner-Webb University, and I've been back at Baylor, um, where I did my undergrad since 2003. And that's where uh, I crossed paths with Sam. And also, John, that's how you and I got to know one another because of the relationship that First Baptist Church of Huntsville uh, enjoys and shares with Baylor University's Truett Seminary. So presently, I am the dean of our school, uh, which is named after a longtime pastor of a church in Dallas, George Washington Truett, who pastored that church from 1897 to 1944, 47 years. Um, and uh, th that, that's a long tenure at any time, but in these days is almost unimaginable. Mm -hmm. that's right. And um, so uh, in addition to serving as dean, I continue to teach courses in New Testament in general, the Pauline letters in particular, and I'm very fortunate that I'm able to continue to have opportunities to write, uh, be it uh, introductions to Paul or commentaries on his letters or technical studies or uh, even more popular uh, studies related to Paul and his work. So that may be about five minutes and certainly that's enough about me. That's great. And it's yeah. funny you mentioned that about uh, George Truett's tenure. Uh, when you when you said those years, I was sitting there thinking like, man, I, I knew that, but you never think about everything that he saw in his ministry from you know the the flu, <laughs> the flu, the Spanish flu of 1918, what we're living through now, yeah. two world wars. Uh, of course, 1944, he would have been, his the end of his tenure would have been right at the, the tail end of World War II, but still he saw a lot of things in, in that ministry. That's crazy. Uh, he did, uh, an amazing man, and this perhaps is a rabbit trail, so I'll uh, do it quickly. But Truett at the end of every year would write a missive, uh, a pastoral letter to his congregation. And so from 1910 to 1944, uh, he did this year in and year out. These are Christmas wow. greetings or uh, uh, New Year's greetings. And during the pandemic, uh, through the encouragement of a colleague, I was able to cobble together these messages and we see uh, what Truett wrote to his congregation. It's now under the title uh, With Radiant Hope by Baylor Press um, er, late last year. So uh, Truett, uh, the more I learn about him, the more there is to uh, learn, but the, also the more there is to love. One of the things that I most value about Truett is um, although he had the opportunity to do any number of things in any number of places, he, on the occasion of turning down the presidency of Baylor University said, I prayed that the Lord would give me a shepherd's heart and he answered my prayer. It was clear that he was birthed into existence to do exactly what he was doing. Hmm. That's yeah, amazing. Wow. wow. 
And if I could speak to uh, the relationship that you highlighted between First Baptist and Truett. So obviously we, we've had a, a line um, that really predates me, I think, but I know, you know, Sam, Scott, for, for everybody who's, who's here in Huntsville and knows Scott Day, uh, Denisha, Rob, all have been a part of that relationship. And then some of our own are now students at Truett uh, there as well. So uh, Leah Boyd, uh, Amanda Clark, mm-hmm. um, I'm trying to think of who else uh, might, might be there from here, but I know, I know those, those two at least. So oh, uh, um, Adam Thompson. Yeah, that's right. Adam mm-hmm. too. Adam as well. So, um, so it's Adam great. Just, Adam just graduated. Uh, and, and here's what I'm hoping. Uh, may it, may it long continue. Um, you yeah. know, mm-hmm. uh, these, these mutually reciprocal relationships um, are are hard to come by, and all partnerships are hard. But this one's easier than most. <laughs> uh, and uh, Travis is just a, a, a dear friend, and Judd a, a brother. So so grateful for the staff and for the church that is First Baptist Huntsville. Yeah, absolutely, and, and thankful for you guys as well. Uh, so one thing I wanted to touch on that you mentioned you you talked about Pauline scholarship. Uh, so for, for someone who may not know or never heard the word Pauline before, what, what, is, what is a Pauline scholar? Yeah. And, you know, you say tomato, I say tomato. Is it Pauline or is it Pauline? I actually don't know. Uh, yeah. But what I can tell you is that however you pronounce that word, uh, it is an adjective and it's pertaining to Paul. And it's not unique to Paul. So if you are a Johannine scholar, you are a scholar of John's letters. If you're a Petrine in, in gospel, if you're a Petrine scholar, you're a scholar of one and two Peter. And so uh, we scholars uh, spend a lot of time making up words. So <laughs> <laughs> um, a Pauline scholar is uh, an individual who is given him or herself over to the study of Paul's life, letters, theology, and interpretive history. And it is uh, someone uh, who finds themselves, uh, I guess, smitten uh, by Paul in in one fashion or another. Uh, Paul has a lot of lovers and Paul has actually a lot of loathers. Uh, I fall in the former category and it's my affinity and affection for the apostle that continues to attract me to best I'm able, think his thoughts after him, which is really what a biblical interpreter seeks to do, uh, is to situate oneself uh, in the text and the context of the author and seek to ascertain, discern, determine here what it was that they were trying to convey. Now, of course, this is no small task. It's a no mean feat. Uh, there are linguistic barriers. There are cultural barriers that impede. Um, but let us not be mistaken. Uh, Paul and other biblical authors meant something instead of nothing. And the text is not merely a plaything that can mean whatever we want it to mean. Uh, so I am one of these who still believes in authorial intent. I am less confident in my ability and capacity to ascertain the same, but I have no doubt that they meant something uh, instead of whatever thing I would have them uh, mean. And we do the same thing with all literature, right? Uh, We know that Shakespeare uh, had something in mind. Milton had something in mind. John Donne had something in mind. And we can go on and on and on. 
Um, but there are textual limits, even if uh, at times there may be uh, double entendre, whether intended or at least experienced, um, there are interpretive limits that we have to operate within. So that's what a Pauline scholar uh, is, uh, a New Testament scholar in general, who focuses upon Paul's life, letters, work, influence, interpretation uh, in particular. Mm-hmm. And you said a couple of things that I, you know, I think would be a great point to kind of pivot into this larger conversation of how do we not take things out of context? Um, so you said as a Pauline or Pauline scholar, uh, you like to try to sit in the seat of the author and try to think his thoughts after him. Um, and so while we were talking about Paul specifically, that that could very much apply to the whole of the Bible, right? Each book of the Bible, um, each verse has an author who's writing to someone with a particular intent and a purpose, right? Can you can you speak to this? I'd love to. So you all, I think the first thing that we must do, um, aside from theological commitments, uh, which I have, and I take to my interpretive task, and I think one of the things that um, postmodernity has taught us is that no one comes to the biblical text with a blank page. Um, it was Rudolf Bultmann, who is not everyone's cup of tea, that once suggested that presuppositionalist exegesis, that is presuppositionalist interpretation, is impossible. And I would say that it's not even desirable. So I come as a confessional Christian believing that the Bible is authoritative for matters of faith and practice. And someone might say, well, your your presuppositions preclude you from honest biblical interpretation. And what I would want to say is, well, I think I own my presuppositions, but no one is void of them. So I just think we need to be as textually or uh, interpretively aware as we can be. So when we think about context, um, someone once said that context is king. Another way to say it is a text without a context is a pretext for whatever we want it to mean. (laughs) So I think that it's vital that we situate the text in its historical context then we want to situate the text in its literary context, moving from more immediate, that is to say, the verses that surround it, the chapter in which it finds itself, the portion of the document, then uh, within perhaps a collection like the Pauline letter corpus, uh, Romans 1 and 2 Corinthians, uh, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians 1 and 2 Thessalonians, 1 and 2 Timothy, uh, Titus, and Philemon. That's the Pauline letter corpus. So, Uh, We move from a passage uh, to a letter to a broader uh, section of Scripture, and then these are, as it were, kind of concentric circles that radiate out from the text itself. So context, key. Um, Secondly, I think that, Sam, as you've suggested, um, we have to pay attention to the author, and we have to pay attention to the audience. So... It was Gordon Fee that once suggested in his uh, commentary on 1 Corinthians, he said, what the author could not have meant and the addressees could not have understood cannot possibly have been the meaning. Mm. So there are constraints uh, with which we must operate. So, for example, 
no biblical author had a clue of coronavirus. And to suggest that he did is simply to tilt at windmills. Now, uh, plagues, sure. Pestilence, right. Disease, of course. So in principle, sure, it could be applicable. But to say that that equals this is both misleading and disingenuous. Then I would also say it's helpful, isn't it, to remember that although Scripture was written for our instruction, we believe that. Paul can say that to the Romans, uh, that Paul can say to the Corinthians that it was written um, for uh, th- that it was written for us, for our instruction, but it was not written to us. Right. We are reading someone else's mail. <laughs> we are reading over their shoulders. And sometimes one of the things that we don't do well, being familiar with the Bible as some of us tend to be, we need to understand that history is a foreign country. They do things differently there. <laughs> and so we need to defamiliarize ourselves with the text enough to see how wild and wonderful it, it, it actually is. And that's what hard core, roll up your sleeves, contextual work, uh, linguistic work allows for you to do. So, man, there's so many things I want to, I want to, <laughs> that you touch on that I want to, I want to talk about. So, um, you talked a little bit about bringing presuppositions, um, yeah. and so for the for the average, you know, you know, person who's works a nine to five, or you're you're you're, you're a teacher, or you're a stay at home parent, or, or whatever it is, and, and man, you're just trying to do your best, um, stick it in your devotion, or or you know, we we actually did a thing last year where we read through the Bible um, through throughout the year. It was interesting to pick uh, a year to encourage your young adults to read through the Bible and, and go through a worldwide pandemic. But uh, we had we had several that that attempted it with us. Um, a few made it all the way through. First time they'd ever read through the Bible, and and, and with that, there's a lot of questions. And um, and it's it's one of the things you have to you have to um, help people see is we do we we come into this um, not realizing how much our history or how much our uh, upbringing influences how we how we see things, how much the context in which we live. So. Uh, the time that we live, the area that we live, and, and that sort of thing also influences how we see things. Getting into what you said about, um, I, I, I want to uh, be genuine to how you put it, but but what the author meant and uh, how did you say it? It was, it was Gordon Fee. Yeah. Uh, Gordon Fee uh, once said, what the author could not have meant yes, and the audience could not have uh, understood cannot possibly be the meaning. And let me just share an illustration because I think that this will be helpful so we don't all, uh, uh, you know, leave it at a kind of a theoretical level. Mm-hmm. So what Gordon Fee was talking about in particular is in 1 Corinthians 13, uh, as Paul uh, offers this remarkable reflection upon agape, uh, upon love, he states near the end of that well-loved chapter that when the perfect comes or when uh, completion comes, the partial shall be done away with. And so uh, some have suggested that by 
perfection or completion that Paul meant the canonization of the New Testament. Uh. There are, in fact, um, uh, labels to describe this interpretive approach that we'll leave to one side because that takes us down other rabbit trails. But uh, to suggest that completion here means the canonization of Scripture or the New Testament is what we call eisegesis. Uh, it is to read a theological presupposition back onto, that is, to map it onto the biblical text. And whatever else Paul meant by completion here, and I have my own views, I, I think that it is the culmination of all things in Jesus Christ at the time of his return, uh, and I think the context supports that interpretation. Whatever else completion means here, there's one thing we know it can't mean. <laughs> it can't mean the canonization of the New Testament because Paul didn't even know that he was writing the New Testament. Right, mm -hmm. right. Yeah, th so that's another thing that, to point out is, is a, a lot of times with Paul, with some of the, uh, these other writers, they didn't know that what they were writing was mm -hmm. scripture as they were writing it. They were just honestly just giving their account of things that later on other faithful believers identified as, hey, this was this was inspired because what they said was true in this case or the other. So, and, and there's a whole, I mean, that's a whole other podcast series to be honest, but um, but it's it's great. And, and I think one of the ways to, I guess, illustrate it for, uh, again, for people at home, if you've ever, if you've ever had a thought like, oh, I'm going to, I'm going to lead a Bible study on X, Y, Z. Let me go find some Bible verses that support my position. That's sort of what Dr. Still is talking about with, with kind of the idea of eisegesis. Um, and that sort of, um, that, that approach to scripture is going into scripture to sort of support what you already believe as opposed to letting, you know, scripture shape you or, or what's there on the page. You also talked about Paul, uh, having many uh, people who, who love Paul and many people who loathe Paul. And it is my opinion, uh, particularly in the age in which we live, um, and, and now I'm not a Pauline scholar, but this is just my own observation as a as a pastor, as a lover of scripture myself. Uh, I have felt like, and in, in, um, in our culture maybe in particular, Paul has sort of been hijacked uh, in some ways or another. And, and that's me saying that that's not, <laughs> you don't have to say that quite, quite so uh, strongly, Dr. Still, but I do think he is widely misunderstood. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and I think that leads to a lot of problems with how we interpret, uh, some of Paul's writings. And we're going to get into at least, uh, at least two of them with Romans and, and, um, Philippians throughout this series. So, uh, any thoughts there on just the approach to Paul? I know, uh, you're a Pauline scholar, uh, N.T. Wright wrote a biography of Paul that was, um, controversial, so to speak, because he, he sort of brought up some of these things that um, I, I think the, the sort of widespread general understanding of Paul may not be quite as accurate, or, or I, I think Paul would, would probably have some issues with the way that, that some people have, have taken some of what he's written. So, Yeah, I mean, Tom Wright is a, is a friend and a fellow Pauline scholar, and one of the things that, Paul, uh, that Tom has done um, not only in his What St. Paul Really Said, but also in his um, biography on Paul recently published by HarperCollins, is Tom has sought in some ways to reclaim and rehabilitate Paul. Uh, Tom is of the opinion, and I share it, that what people are unwilling to say about Jesus, they are willing to say about Paul. Uh, for whatever combination of reasons, it was Norman Vincent Peale who once said, um, or someone who once said about Norman Vincent Peale, uh, a recent convert to the faith, um, uh, 
Paul I find appealing, but Peel I find appalling. <laughs> and uh, what has happened is that many people find Paul appalling. So we ask ourselves the question, why so? Well, because Paul is fashioned into a faithless foil is what happens. And so with this construct, which is nothing short of caricature, uh, Paul is thought to be uh, a prideful, patriarchal prude <laughs> who distorted Jesus on the one hand and Judaism on the other. Who wants that guy? Right. Uh, and, yeah. and so, but at each of those contentions, I would like to contend that those are mistaken notions. Um, imitate me as I imitate Christ. Well, in the ancient world, imitatio was the way that philosophic schools worked. Watch and do. Follow the pattern. If that does not pass contemporary standards of humility, this does not say in antiquity that that is necessarily prideful. Moreover, imitate me as I imitate Christ. To the extent that I don't imitate Christ, voila, don't imitate me. So, uh, was Paul patriarchal? Well, so Paul was not a 21st century egalitarian, okay? Uh, as if though he could have been. Right. But does Paul find room in his mission for women grasped of God, gifted of God to express those gifts? Well, uh, to the extent that Phoebe was a deacon, to the extent that uh, Prisca was a co-worker, to the extent that Junia was an apostle, I gather that there were women in the Pauline mission who added appreciably to it. When he says to Clement in uh, Philippians 4 that Euodia and Suntuke uh, struggled side by side with me in the gospel, this is much more than uh, baking brownies and minding preschoolers. Not that there's a thing in the world wrong with baking brownies or minding preschoolers, but you can't then say that Paul is necessarily uh, a patriarchal person in a contemporary sense, then, you know, is Paul approved? Well, okay, Paul was celibate. Uh, and Paul said, I would that you were as I. Uh, that is, that you were gifted to be single as I am single. But that doesn't in and of himself itself make Paul approved. That just means that Paul understood himself to be grasped by God for the gospel, um, and he's able to give Christ and his mission this undivided devotion. Did he distort Jesus? It was George Bernard Shaw who once said that uh, Paul would have said nothing that Jesus would have said and did nothing that Jesus would have done. This Irish playwright uh, creates a maximalist position that is not sustainable if you want to offer a sympathetic and fair reading. And then did Paul distort Judaism? Well, you know, two forms of Judaism persist after the destruction of the temple in AD 70. Uh, Pharisaism on the one hand, which is all forms of contemporary Judaism and Messianism on the other. Uh, Paul would have thought that he as a Jew was offering winsome witness for the hope that was within him. And so, you know, uh, I just don't think that folks are being entirely fair to Paul and when you look at his life, not to mention his letters, far more than pillory the apostle, I think that most of us should just kind of stand back in awe yeah. <laughs> and say, my, uh, would that I could live like this. 
Yeah, and I think, uh, you know, so I want to get into some practical tips for the for the Bible reader at home. Like, what are some ways you can avoid this? And, and one I will say is um, an approach to biblical interpretation that I learned a long time ago that I've always tried to uh, place high on my list of, of uh, you know, things that I'm uh, looking for when I'm trying to interpret a passage. And, and it's interpret the Bible with the Bible. And what that means is, you know, if you look at a you come across a, a particular verse of Paul's in one of his letters, interpret that with the wider scope of everything that Paul wrote and lived, because we also have a, a tremendous account of the life of Paul and, and how he did in the book of Acts. And so, you know, you come across a weird passage that maybe doesn't make sense to contemporary standards, um, interpret that with the wider scope of what all is, is Paul saying over the course of his life and his other letters, how is Paul living as we're, as we're given in the book of Acts? And when you do that, it is my opinion that when you come across some of these things that Paul says that that can be taken um, hard or harshly, uh, I think Paul actually is is someone who really never asks anything of anyone else that he doesn't ask of himself, that he hasn't already exemplified somewhere else in his life. Because first and foremost, Paul's an evangelist. And so his goal is for you to come to Christ. And so when he needs to be strong, he's strong. When he needs to be weak, he's weak. When he needs to be a Jew, he's a Jew. When he needs to be a Gentile, he's a Gentile. And so when you take these things into consideration and what he asks of people, sometimes he does make hard asks of people, mm-hmm. but he doesn't ask, he doesn't do that and not ask it of himself uh, in, in other contexts as well. And when he does that, it's for, in my opinion, the advancement of the gospel among the people that he's trying to reach. And so he's very contextual in his approach, in my opinion. Uh, so I think that's a helpful way for us to sort of approach interpretation of the scriptures as well. Um, and it takes it takes maturity um, and it takes uh, it takes thoughtfulness and it takes prayer and it takes being in community with one another and, and wrestling over these things together as well. So that's that's a practical tip that I'll share and and use, uh, you know, uh, Paul as an example of. But uh, what, what are some of uh, your practical tips for the uh, the average listener at home, Sam or Dr. Still, in terms of approaching the, the scriptures and, and not interpreting them mm-hmm. in, uh, in ways that are harmful. Yeah, I, if I can just jump in real quick. Um, I think one of the things that I've really gravitated to is just a love for the history of the Bible. I know one of my final projects I did with uh, Dr. Tucker at Truett, and it was a deep dive of religious history of Judaism, um, because I think you can't read the New Testament without a, without an eye to the Old Testament, because the Old Testament informs the New Testament, almost like you said, John, use the Bible to understand the Bible. Um, and Dr. Still, like you said earlier, use the liter- literary context. You know, often the New Testament, the literary context is allusions or drawing back to other pieces in um, the larger corpus that we have. Um, so I, I know I've grown in a love for that. Um, and just the depth and, and I can't think of a better word, but the richness that goes along with it. But Dr. Still, I'd love to hear, you know, for someone who's teaching a Sunday school class or maybe is an attender of a Sunday school class or maybe just stepped into church for the first time during the pandemic, do you have a top three or top five or 10 things that if you're looking at a passage and you're not quite sure how to apply this or you see it on a mug, these are the things that you can do to pretty accurately or get a better grip of what the text might be trying to tell us. Yeah, thank you, uh, John and Sam. Uh, So uh, first of all, I think it's helpful um, on, you know, let's, let's just get down to brass tacks. So, so get a readable translation of the Bible. Uh, many read the new international version. Uh, others read the new revised standard version or the Holman standard Bible. Uh, 
get a good uh, uh, translation of Scripture, you say, well, these differ by way of comparison, and that is a point of study in and of itself. Um, then I would simply say, uh, read the text uh, repeatedly that you're studying. Then uh, do so in a context of community, as John has suggested. Interpretation should not be done in splendid isolation. Uh, it may be these are a community of scholars, interpreters, who've lingered long over Scripture before you've had the privilege of doing the same. Uh, it could be that you're in a class. Uh, it could be that you and a friend uh, are reading the Bible and uh, talking about the Bible uh, together. And then I think that um, those are the keys to, to going about careful biblical study. Uh, find a good translation. Find good, um, uh, uh, read it time and again, and then find good tools and, and, and good friends with whom uh, to read Scripture. Not necessarily in lockstep uniformity. Uh, invariably, there will be interpretive differences. And I think that uh, that's one of the ways that we can grow in our uh, walk with God, with Christ uh, together. And then I think that we need to, as John has suggested, through prayer and uh, asking God's Spirit to give us guidance so that we might understand uh, Scripture better. And as you've suggested, Sam, I mean, Scripture is rich and varied, and I would say uh, inexhaustible. So uh, what I would love for folks to hear me say is view Scripture as a friend. Develop a relationship with it. You say it's inanimate. No, it's living. Uh, and believe that God would speak to you through it. And then the other thing that I might say is don't lose the forest for the trees. There is a script in Scripture. Creation, fall, yes, but then covenant, and then Christ, and then the church, and then consummation. So there is an arc of Scripture. Situate yourself within this larger story. And when there are tensions within the texts, may I encourage you not to explain the difficulties away. Forced harmonization does injustice to the biblical witness. And so invariably in a, in a, in a book that is actually 66 biblia, 66 books, there is going to be a variety, uh, and it's a rich variety, uh, and instead of allowing that to unnerve you or to intimidate you, receive the diversity as a gracious gift from God. Uh, and just understand that ultimately it's all a part of a larger uh, mystery. And the final thing that I'll say as we go about biblical interpretation, let's remember that our Trinity is not Father, Son, and Holy Scripture. Our Trinity is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We are grateful for God's Word. Some of us invest our entire lives studying it and sharing it, but we do not worship it. Uh, we are guided to worship God through it. So please don't fashion Scripture, which is profitable for uh, instruction, reproof, correction, training in righteousness, Please don't fashion it into an idol so that it becomes something that God never meant for it to be. We bow the knee 
to God. We worship God uh, alone. And so I think to take biblical interpretation seriously, uh, we're not playing games, but to not take ourselves too seriously and to approach the whole enterprise with a humility, saying that, God, I want to stand under Scripture. You have more light to shed on your word. Um, I'm not a master of it. I need to be mastered by it. These are the things that I think can give us the habit of heart and mind that can cause us to hunger and to thirst after righteousness so that we might be more fully formed into Jesus's image and likeness, which of course is the whole goal of the Christian experience anyway. So yeah. it leads us to that good end. Yeah, absolutely. That's, that's well said. And I, I, I want to, I, I, let's, let's end there because I think uh, what you just hit on is, is what I, what I hope we can communicate over the course of this series together. Um, the, the, the purpose of what we are doing uh, in things like this or in things like worship and things like Bible study and things like fellowship together and serving together is that we would be made into the image of Christ. And that is the end goal for Paul. If you read the scope of Paul's letters is that uh, to follow him as he follows Christ, to imitate him as he imitates Christ, to be made into the image of Christ. I believe that he even says that, I think in Romans, I can't remember now, but um, that is the end goal for him. That is the end goal for us. It's not to go to heaven when we die or whatever it is to be right. made into the image of Jesus. And we do that together through all of those avenues that we talked about, through being in community, through prayer, uh, through uh, reading the scripture, but using those things to lead us ultimately to God uh, and to the worship of God, uh, the Father, Son, and Spirit. So uh, well said, and um, thank you so much for yeah. your time, Dr. Still. Uh, we're going to jump into uh, this again next week, uh, looking at Jeremiah chapter 29. So, so looking forward to this and, mm-hmm. and these things that you shared with us. Uh, we, we will take that into uh, account and remind our listeners of that as we go along as well. And uh, so, I'm, I'm so looking forward to it. Sam, I'll turn it over to you for any last words. Yeah, uh, thank you so much, Dr. Stilley. It, it's always a joy to, to glean from you and your, your depth of wisdom. Um, if, if we have people here talking this partnership language between First Baptist and Truett, if we have people here who say, well, you know, I, I can't go to seminary, that's not necessarily in the fold for me, and it's not necessarily even what I want to do. I don't want to be a professional minister, but I want to learn and I want to increase my depth from people who have studied this their entire lives. Um, is there something or a way that they can connect with Truett from Alabama without having to show up on campus and still be able to have access to a number of those resources? Yeah, you can stay in sweet home Alabama and connect <laughs> uh, with Truett Seminary. So you all... Uh, first of all, let me say, John and Sam, thank you. Uh, secondly, let me say that uh, Truett Seminary would be honored to partner with you as you become uh, a student of Scripture. And one of the ways that we can do that is through our Certificate of Ministry program, which is accessible. Uh, you go at your own pace, which is affordable, $250 a class, and which is ultimately moving towards something that is a certificate in ministry. Uh, It works along lines of biblical interpretation, spiritual formation, theological reflection, and what it does, if you're a Sunday school teacher, or if you're a serious Christ follower, or if you are growing as a disciple, this allows you both structure and substance so that you can uh, grow from where you are to where you know the Lord wants you to be. The way we pitch it, uh, Sam and John, is our certificate of ministry program is between Sunday school, which is enough for some, but not enough for all, and seminary, 
which is too much for many. And so we try to occupy that space. And I encourage you to reach out to John, to reach out to Sam, to go online at Truett Seminary Certificate of Ministry. You're always welcome to contact me directly, Todd underscore still at Baylor.edu. I would be delighted. And I might simply say, if the bug bites, go ahead and tend to it. Uh, We now have uh, four credit classes online. They may or may not lead to a full degree, but you could at least get uh, the proverbial ball uh, rolling. So any way that we can serve, Truett understands itself to be of, by, and for the church. We exist to serve the church. If we can serve you all uh, in any way, it would be an honor for us to do so. That would be great. So that, that's a great plug. Uh, let's keep this relationship going between Here. First Baptist and, mm-hmm. and Truett Seminary. So Sam, you have something? Yeah, no, I was just going to say thank you so much, Dr. Still. I really enjoyed this. I, my paper is full of notes and things to consider. And I just, I literally just want to go to my Bible and start reading it again after this conversation, just right now. <laughs> Terrific. Me too. Yeah. Uh, but I'm, I'm probably going to go back to uh, composing my greatest list uh, or, or greatest hits of memoranda. So <laughs> right. it's uh, what a what a remarkable diversion in, in the midst of a day. Thanks for the conversation. Absolutely. Thank you so much yeah, for your time. You. It was a pleasure. And yeah. uh, we'll, we'll do it again sometime. That sounds great. Thanks, John. Right. Thanks, Sam. All right. We'll, we'll catch you guys next week.